Well, this um, month in August is always, um, this time of the month is special to me because in 1980, in March, I got married to my wife, Jackie, and in May of 1980, I uh, I graduated, miracle that I graduated from seminary, and then the last of August, we, Jackie and I, moved into the old farmhouse that was here on the property and began ministry here at Bible Chapel at the end of August. And uh, this is moving from year 42 now into year 43, which is hard to believe, but the calendar doesn't lie. And um, I just today want to give thanks to God for his grace, um, for his faithfulness uh, through the ups and downs of all those years, and for his providing and caring uh, for us um, as, a, as a pastor and my wife Jackie and our family, but also for our church. And I am just grateful to God for Bible Chapel. I love you all. I'm thankful to be your pastor. I'm humbled to be your pastor. And uh, so um, I thought it might be good as we, as for me anyway, in this anniversary, uh, just to do a series on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's been my privilege for all these years to preach the gospel, to make known Christ. And so I thought it would be Helpful that we might do a series on this. I was going to say a short series, but I'm careful. Having just finished the Minor Prophets, which was supposed to be 12 weeks, and it was 23 weeks, um, it's going to be a series on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, as we think of the gospel... Even as believers, it's good for us to be reminded of things that we already know. That's what Peter says. I'm writing this letter, Second Peter, just to remind you of things that you already know. Sometimes that's really what we need, to be reminded. And maybe for some, this will be new territory, new material, and it's our prayer that you will come to know uh, better the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so, as I, as I, just today, by way of introduction, I'm going to talk about some of the objectives that we have, I have, as we do this series. But first of all, I want to look at some words that have come to my mind as I think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I was studying and in my office this week, I, for one afternoon, just was thinking about words that come to my mind when I think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, I have a list here. There's 13 of them. Uh, It could have kept on going, but I had to cut it off somewhere. And I'm sure there are other things that maybe come to your mind when you think of the gospel that are not in this list. But I want to begin by just considering some of these things that immediately came to my mind as we think about the gospel. And one of the first is that it is good news. That's obvious because the word itself in the Greek is the word that means good news or good tidings. We like good news, don't we? We don't hear a lot of it these days, but we like to hear 
good news. One of the good news messages we received this year was we're going to be grandparents, and that was pretty exciting. And uh, we all like to get good news. Well, here really is the best good news, and it is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the midst of a fallen world where there are, there's bad news all around us, we are thankful for good news. In Isaiah, we read these words, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who declares peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful when someone comes and they bring good news. We love to hear it. And here, the gospel that is being foretold is is going to be a message. It's a good tidings of good things, of salvation, of peace. So as we think of the gospel, it is a message of good news. Secondly, it is otherworldly. It is otherworldly. What do I mean by that? Well, this good news is not something that comes to us from men. It, it is not, does not originate from this fallen world in which we live. Sometimes you might hear on the news, we have good news from Washington. You don't hear that very often. Or we have good news from Wall Street. Or we have good news from the U.N., Um, But this news doesn't come from Washington. It doesn't come from Wall Street. This good news comes down to us from our God. It is otherworldly. It is divine in its origin. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Everything that is good that we enjoy is a gift, an overflow of the goodness of God that comes to us. But central to that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a good gift that comes to us from God. In John 6, as Jesus speaks there, and he says, Just like the children of Israel received manna that came down from heaven, every morning they awakened, there was manna in the wilderness for them that fed them, that sustained them physically. Even so, Jesus said, I am the bread that has come down out of heaven that gives life to the world, that brings salvation to the world. I am this bread, and it has come down to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is otherworldly. Here in his love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. And he has sent his own son into this world to be the propitiation for our sins. Paul says that it is a trustworthy statement and it's worthy of all acceptance that Christ came into the world. He came into the world to save sinners. And so this is the message that comes to us from God. Here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says in verse 1, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive and in which you stand. And then verse 3, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also 
received. All right? I've received this. This this didn't originate with me. I'm just the mailman. I have received this, and I'm passing this on to you as an apostle of Jesus Christ. It is a message conveyed to me through Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1.11, Paul says, This glorious gospel is the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. This comes to us from God himself, the blessed Godhead. So it is otherworldly. Thirdly, it is grace-saturated. It is good news because it is saturated with grace. Paul said, I was formerly a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an insolent man, but I obtained mercy, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was exceedingly abundant to me. This gospel is a gospel of grace. Where, the, where sin abounded, the grace of God did much more abound to us in the gospel. In Ephesians 2, a chapter I think we all love at Bible Chapel, says that we were those who were dead in our sins and our transgressions, but God made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. By grace we have been saved. And in all the ages that are to come, as we are in the presence of the Lord, he's going to be sharing with us the exceeding riches of his grace to us in Jesus Christ. So we have received grace if we are a Christian, but it's an abundant grace. This gospel is a a message of an overflowing and abundant grace to us. And those who have experienced the grace of God in the gospel, they want to make much of grace. We sing about grace. We want to hear about grace. We want to speak about grace. Not unto us, O Lord, but to your name is to be the glory for your mercy and for your grace to us. So we preach grace. We sing about grace. We glory in the grace of God. And we speak about grace alone. Fourthly, it is God-exalting. Since it comes from God and it is saturated with grace, we recognize it's undeserved grace, and therefore all the glory must be to God. This gospel is a gospel that doesn't bring glory to us, but it is a gospel that brings glory and honor to the God who is the author of it. Jesus, as he was preparing to go to the cross in John 12, he said this, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this very purpose I came to this hour. Here's the prayer of Jesus. Father, glorify your name. Then there was a voice from heaven and said this. The Father said, I have both glorified it. And I will glorify it again. This gospel is, it redounds to the glory of God. And it brings the people of God to rejoice in this God of grace, to exalt in him. 
Over and again in, in Ephesians 1, Paul says something like this, what God has done for us. He's blessed us in Christ. He's adopted us. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And over and again, Paul says something to this effect, to the praise and the glory of his grace. It's all to the praise of the glory of his grace. So this is ultimately the purpose of the gospel. It is to put the the glory of God on display in a way which exceeds all other. As we think about creation, creation is declaring to us the glory of God. No matter where we look, everything that God has made declares his glory, his beauty. But here especially do we see the glory and the beauty of our God and especially of his grace. And so we want to make much of that. That's why in the back on the top we have sola deo gloria. To God alone must be all the glory for everything in the church. It must all bring glory to him. Number five, it is Christ cross-centered. This gospel that we hold dear is Christ cross-centered. It is often referred to in the New Testament, the the gospel, as the gospel of God. Sometimes it's referred to as the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of peace. But numerous times we find that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and rightly so. Mark 1.1, Mark, as he begins his gospel, says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what I'm going to write about. That's what I'm going to speak about. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Paul, writing to the Romans, said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Central to the gospel is the message about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But not just who he is, but what he has accomplished. His work is never separated from his person. He is Jesus Christ who was crucified. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 2 says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. What was my message? I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was my message. Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. The message of the cross. It's a message of Christ. It is a message of the cross. And so front and center, as we think about the gospel It is Christ and him crucified. This message is central to the Bible. It is central to the gospel. It is central to Christianity. Without Christ and Christ crucified, there is no gospel. There is no message. And there is no Christianity. Fifthly, sixthly, are you impressed that I'm moving quickly here? Some of you were worried when I had 13 points. All right, I'm trying to move. It is historical. 
It is historical. The gospel is not some mystical thing. It's not some special revelation, some special knowledge. It is not something that was done in a corner. It was historical when Christ came into this world. A virgin conceived and bore a son. His name was Jesus. He grew and became a man and lived a sinless life. And he went to the cross. He went to a cross and he died on a cross. He was buried. He was raised again on the third day, as we have read here in 1 Corinthians 15. We read there that he died for our sins. This is what I delivered to you, Paul says in verse 3. He died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And again, this was done in a corner. We have witnesses, up to 500 witnesses that are still alive, Paul says, that saw the risen Christ. So these events are historical, redemptive events that happen in time and in history. And when John writes his first epistle, 1 John 1, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, speaking of the apostle and he being one of them, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes and which we have looked upon and handled with our own hands concerning the word of life. And of this life we bear witness to you. So we have seen this Christ. He's a historic Christ who lived again in time and history. Number seven, this gospel, which is a historical gospel, is unusual. I want us to think for a moment here. We're familiar, most of us. We've grown up around the Christian message. We've heard about Christ and him crucified, going to a cross, being raised on the third day. Most of us have heard it since we were children, since we were infants. But think for a moment, if you had never heard the message of the gospel, and there's this guy named Paul that comes into your town. You're a pagan idolater. And Paul comes into your town, and he's preaching to you this message. And it's a message about the Son of God who came into this world, and he was crucified on a Roman cross. What would you think about that message? I think if we could step back from our own experience and think about it, we would begin to think, you know, this is really strange. This is very unusual. He's talking about salvation and salvation that is found in a man that is crucified on a Roman cross. The idea of a man being crucified was an abomination to most of the Romans and, and to the Jews as well. And here is this preacher preaching about Jesus Christ and him crucified. That would be very strange sounding. And indeed it was in the first century and even today. Paul writing to the Corinthians, as he writes, he says that Christ um, crucified is to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. And to the Gentiles, it is foolishness. It's a foolish message. It's a stumbling block. You want us to believe in a man crucified on the cross as a means of salvation, being reconciled, being made right with God. 
where are you coming from, Paul? This is very strange. It's, it's foolishness. Paul goes on to say, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, if you're a Christian today, have you ever thought about this? (laughs) How is it that I, believing and resting the eternal weight of my soul upon a man that was crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago. How has that happened? And we know, if we know our Bibles, that it's all of his grace. He's the one who has created faith in us, as we sang in that hymn. He has shown us our sin. He has shown us the beauty and the glory of the cross, that it is here that we find that Christ was made to be sin for us. And we we begin to to think like Paul, and and we say what Paul says in Galatians 6.14, where Paul says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Christ Jesus. That's what I'm boasting in. That's what my hope is, that's what my confidence for eternity is resting upon, Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is an unusual message, is it not? It is a strange message, but it is the message of God that is, as Paul says, the foolishness of God that puts to naught the wisdom of men. And herein is this message that we have come to believe in. So the preaching of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. It is the power of God. Number eight, it is pride crushing. The gospel says that salvation is all of grace, And it's all about the work of Christ, that Jesus came into the world to save those who are unrighteous. Unrighteous. So the gospel is something that will crush the pride of men. Our own self-righteousness. Anything that we would trust in ourselves that would make us acceptable before a holy God Paul says it's all rubbish. We have nothing. We we bring nothing to the table in regards to our salvation and this gospel. The only thing that we bring is our own sin. And this gospel is a gospel that will crush our pride, our self-righteousness, putting trust in anything that we do. So this gospel brings us to an end of our self. As Jesus called Matthew to become one of his disciples, you remember Matthew was a tax collector. He was despised. He was a Jew, and he was despised by other Jews because he worked for Rome. He collected taxes. He took more than he should. He was a thief. And Jesus calls this man to come and to be his disciples. And we find Jesus with Matthew and some of his friends who were also sinners And Jesus is with them, and the disciples are questioned by the Pharisees, how is it that Jesus is hanging around 
you know, these kinds of people, the riffraff. And Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, those who are well, they don't need a doctor. They don't need a physician, but those who are sick. That's the kind of people that I've come into the world for. Those who are unrighteous, who know that they're unrighteous, they have no hope in themselves. I've come to call the unrighteous, to call them to repentance. And so this message is a message, this gospel is a pride-crushing gospel. You can't fix your problem your sin problem, you must trust and look to Christ alone. So this gospel humbles, it humbles the pride of man, it exalts the grace of God. And number nine, it is exclusive. That is that the gospel is not a gospel among other gospels. It is the only gospel There is no other gospel. There are not many ways to God. Many of you remember our brother, uh, Keith Kessler. He began attending our church when the former church that he was going to, the preacher preached on John 14, 6. And he quoted the verse and he said, quoting Jesus, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then the pastor said, and this is the part that I have trouble with, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He was out the door, and rightly so. Jesus himself said, I am the only way to the Father. There is no other way. Peter and John is there preaching, following Pentecost in the book of Acts, as they've healed a lame man. And they are preaching the gospel, and again, they're getting negative response from the religious leaders. How did you raise up this man? Well, it was in the name of Jesus Christ. And they go on to say that there is salvation in no other name given among men under heaven whereby we can be saved. There is no other name. It is in Christ alone. So this gospel is a gospel that points us to the only Savior of sinners. This is another reason the gospel is an offense, not just the message itself, but the fact that it is the only message of salvation. Number 10, it is transformative. It's the power of God unto salvation. It changes one's status before a holy God. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Paul writing to the Corinthians says, Don't you know that the unrighteous, they will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. That's what you were. That's what we all were. We were sinners, unrighteous. But now you have been 
washed. You have been sanctified. You have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There has brought about a transformation in our status before a holy God. We are now accepted in the beloved one. But not only that, God changes the direction of our life through this gospel. Paul said, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. There's a new birth that has come, come about. There's a new heart that God has put within his people. And they live differently. A part of this salvation is not just to be saved from hell and the guilt of our sin, but to save us from the power of sin in our daily life, to make us to live now and to be Christ-like, to seek to be God-like. And so Paul says that this gospel is a gospel that transforms us from the inside out. Number 11, it is plain. This gospel is plain. You don't have to be a nuclear physicist to be under, able to understand the gospel. You do not have to be one who is able to understand calculus. You don't even have to be uh, an adult with a PhD. This gospel, in one sense, is plain. It is simple, such that even a child can understand it. Paul, writing to Timothy, says that from childhood you have heard this gospel from your mother and your grandmother. And this gospel, this salvation that you've heard of, is able to make you wise unto salvation. Timothy, you heard it when you were young. When you were just a little boy, you heard this gospel. And by the grace of God, it come to understand that. And I want to say to the children here, the young people here, as we, as we come to church and as we hear the word of God being taught, this isn't just for adults. This is for young and for old. It, it is for children and for us as parents to communicate to our children things about the gospel that they can understand by the grace of God. Again, these are things that are things that are written for us in the scriptures. And children, you, you need to have an ear, an ear to hear, to listen. It's not over your head. There are truths. Yeah, there, there are some things that are hard, and even us as adults, we really can't understand completely and fully. But we can understand these things. That Jesus Christ came into our world. He died on a cross. He was buried. He was raised again. He's ascended above. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's the only Savior of sinners. These are things that children can understand. Many of us here, we, we were converted at a young age, hearing the gospel by God's grace. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. And so this is a message that has been given, and it is a message that can be understood even by the young. Number 12, it is of supreme importance. There is no other gospel. There is no other way of salvation, and therefore it is of utmost importance. When you think about things that are really maybe concerning to you, what comes to mind? 
Is it global warming? Is it, am I going to have enough money for my retirement? Is it uh, a culture and the decline of our country around us? Is it my health concerns? Is it nuclear threat? Really, the biggest thing that we ought to be concerned about is the state of our soul. There really is no more important thing than that. That I have sinned against a holy God, and I can't fix my problem. But it is in the gospel that God has provided a way, a means, by which I can be saved and reconciled to him. And therefore, this is of utmost importance. Jesus said, what profit is it if a man gains the whole world, and yet he loses his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Your soul is more important than the whole world put together. And you are in need of this gospel. There is no more important thing. Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So these things that we're speaking about, they're sacred. They're vitally, vitally important. And then number 13, lastly, this gospel, it is a gospel about peace, about joy, And about hope, it engenders that in the hearts of those who have come to know Jesus Christ. Paul, as he writes here in 1 Corinthians 15, says, This gospel that I received, that I have given to you, is the gospel in which you you stand. You stand in this gospel. That's a beautiful thing. This is what you're founded upon, rooted in. There is stability there. There is hope there. There is reason for peace and joy. There is peace that we have with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is joy that we have that the Bible refers to as exceeding joy. As he writes in 1 Peter, Peter speaks about the believers there. Even though they have not seen Christ, even as Peter had, yet you rejoice with joy that is abundant, exceedingly joyful. So there is a joy and a peace and a hope that this gospel engenders in the hearts of God's people. We have been born again, Peter says, to a living hope by which we can face cancer. We can face death and sickness. We can face the things of this world that are so hard that press in upon us. We have been born again to a living hope. Now, just in closing quickly, as we think about this series, some objectives that I have, the first and foremost is we want to make much of God. We want to exalt God. We want to give glory to the God who is the author of this gospel. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, Let him who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. That's my prayer, that we will just boast in the Lord, his grace and his kindness to us. 
And when we get that right in our life, it'll change everything else. When our focus is on God and his glory, that will change how we live in this world and what we think. And so may God help us in that way. And then secondly, that through this series, it will help to clarify the gospel for us and help us to contend for that gospel. There's a lot of confusion, even in the professing church, about the gospel, what it is and what it isn't. And so we want to seek, by God's grace, to have clarity about it. But then we also want to contend for that gospel. That's what Jude tells us. Contend earnestly for the faith once delivered unto us. We'll talk more about these things in the weeks to come. Thirdly, to promote spiritual growth in us. That we will be changed. Paul says as we, as we think of the gospel, as we think of Christ, as we look into the face of Christ... As if we're looking in a mirror, we're being changed. We are being transformed. The gospel has the power to transform and change us to make us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And so that should be our desire. To be better, yes, grounded in the gospel that yields joy and peace. To be humbled by that gospel, but then to live humbly and worthy of that gospel. Paul writing to the Thessalonians said, I'm writing these things and I'm telling you all these things so you may walk worthy of God who calls you into the, to his own kingdom and glory, that you will walk worthy. Brothers and sisters, we have a glorious gospel and we are to reflect in our life as we live in this world, we are to live differently. We are to walk worthy of this gospel, to reflect it, that it would shine forth from us and from our life. And lastly, as we close through this series, it is my prayer to any that may not be a true follower of Christ. You may know things about Christ, but really he doesn't have your heart. You've never really ultimately bowed the knee to Christ. The word of God tells us that we have a bad record in heaven and we have a bad heart left to ourselves. We need to be saved from both of those. We need the record to be wiped clean through the work of Christ. We need to have a change of heart that only God can bring about through his gospel. And so it is my prayer that as we preach and as we look at the gospel, That even as Jesus began his public ministry, this call would come to you. He said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Sometimes God saves people out of the pig pen. Sometimes he saves them out of the pew. People that have been in church a long time, but their hearts have never bow the knee to Christ. That is a prayer that we have for you, that you will come to saving faith in this Christ and in him. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this gospel that is otherworldly, that has come to us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that you will honor your name, honor your son, honor the gospel in this series. Give us help, Lord. We need help. May we be like those in Thessalonica who, when they heard the word of Paul, they received it not as the word of men, but what it truly is, the word of the living God. Give us ears to hear, we pray.
and do this for the glory and honor of Christ, we pray. Amen. I invite you to